Welcome to Kanza Radio, a weekly update on the people, events, activities, and initiatives of the Kaw Nation, people of the South Wind, on 1230 WBBZ and 1047 The Bull. Now from the Kaw Nation studios, this week's edition of Kanza Radio. Okay, today we're sitting down with Jamila Alharake. She's a grant coordinator for OSU Community Wellness. We have another grant coordinator, Cherie Hansen Brewer, and then we have Chuck Lester, the grant director. Thank you guys for coming in again. Thanks for having us. This is the second time sitting down to speak. The first episode was more of like an introduction episode. Um, We got to meet the team, talk about how the program works, kind of a general overview. I'm excited about today. We're going to dive a little deeper in, talk about some of the things that you have going on in the K County area. Um, OSU Community Wellness provides healthy living and substance abuse prevention services to several counties in Northern Oklahoma, I believe. Chuck, as the grant director, do you personally oversee programs for like multiple counties? Yeah. So as a, as a grant manager, we have underneath the umbrella of uh, community wellness, there's actually nine-ish grants altogether. Oh, wow. I have uh, direct, some sort of direct responsibility for about six of those. Um, there's one that I directly coordinate in Payne County that looks at underage drinking, um, trying to prevent that. Um, and then we have our three K County grants. We have one in Pawnee. Those are all our substance, um, related grants. And then we also have one that works in like a five County area to increase the amount of HIV testing. And it also does some education at this sort of intersection of substance use and HIV. So in terms of the K County grants, are those, how long have those been around? In some form or another, they've been around probably 10-ish years, Okay, but grants change. So back in the day, we were regionally based. We would have like an assignment of five different counties. For, for us, it was five counties. We had the five counties in north central Oklahoma. So it was Osage, K, Noble, Payne, Pawnee. Um, and we could do kind of anything within that area. If we had a community coalition that was interested in working on a topic and we could pull data to show that there was a need for it, we could kind of work on it. This latest round, which we really transitioned to about two years ago, was very, it was more of a hotspot approach. That's from our funders at the state. So they wanted to see, based off of the numbers that they already had, where there was a need for a particular substance to be looked at. And so even though we've been doing the work, the work has changed substantially. So we already had a, a pretty good relationship like with our K County coalition. They've done work with for us in the past, but this sort of way of doing things was new about two years ago where we okay. really switched and started to look very specifically at a substance instead of just sort of the region as a whole. So a lot of your efforts from the previous eight years, they're still relevant. They're still helping along the way, but this most recent push is kind of a the last two years. Absolutely. And, you know, important in that because we weren't necessarily looking at all the substances, a lot of the work that we've done prior has been very specific to alcohol. Um, We had a a, called an alcohol enforcement plan that we did here for a while. And so a lot of the work is not based or has not historically been based on marijuana and stimulants, which are the, the two that we've got the coordinators here for today. So that work really is like foundational ground up work. And it also can be really sort of tricky in a way because a lot of the things that we know work for alcohol, um, which is a legal substance, fully you know legal as long as you're 21 and whatever, don't necessarily work for, like in the case of stimulants, 
a fully illicit substance, mm-hmm. or in the case of, of marijuana, a, a substance that's only legal if you possess a, a medical card and whatnot. So it's it's pretty fascinating in a way because the, the way that you approach the, the substances, the work that you've done and the groundwork that you've laid, it doesn't always necessarily match. It's it's probably good to take a fresh look at things, you know, as times change. But that that's a good point. Each substance is essentially its own monster in certain ways. Absolutely. And Absolutely. for these grants in K County, we have, you said stimulants, we have uh, marijuana, and then there's also alcohol as well. That's correct. Okay. So another way that you guys are kind of connecting with K County, you're going to these uh, K County Health Coalition meetings every month. I've been fortunate enough to be invited to the last two months. I found it to be very educational, very inspirational. You guys have a great group of people there, incredible vision, really good ideas. There was actually some really cool things talked about, some interesting things talked about that I wanted to kind of bring up today. Um, Something that really got my attention in that last meeting was the conversation surrounding overdoses and prevention. Jamila, you spoke about a website called OK, I'm Ready that can actually ship medication to help save people from overdoses on opioids, correct? Yes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So if you've seen in the news recently, um, now what we call naloxone, or the pharmaceutical name is Narcan, Mm -hmm. um, it will start to be available over the counter, but um, it is an opioid antagonist, and it's, it's administered nasally. It's something that if you everyone at this point should probably know about or be familiar with. If in any case you're around someone who has overdosed on any sort of opioid, you can administer it and it will help save time to revive the person in order for the paramedics to get there. It is a relatively harmless substance. So even in the case of somebody um, overdosing on a substance that you don't know what they overdosed on, even if you administer it to somebody, it will not harm them. Um, so it's always just good. It's a good tool to have in your in your pocket at Absolutely. this point, um, especially with the increase of opioid overdoses that we are having, mm-hmm. um, not only Oklahoma and countywide, but nationwide. Yeah, it's it's a nationwide epidemic in some regards. So. The Narcan, that is what's available through this website. You can kind of just sign up and they'll ship it to yeah. your house. You can go to okimready.com and there's, if you click on some of the tabs, you can find where to order your free naloxone. And it's very simple information, name, address, um, just some brief like demographic data, um, just to probably on their back end collect like who's interested. But I think I had heard somebody who went in and even wrote anonymous as their name. Like if you don't want um, anyone to know that you've ordered the mm-hmm. the product or ship it, ship it to a business or something, and it just comes straight to your door. And any instructions that you would need to learn about it can be found online on the website as well. What a great resource. Again, it's okimready.org. Chuck, you were also speaking about some of the more preventative resources when it comes to these overdoses, specifically the ability to test for certain substances. Can you, can you kind of go over that a little bit? And I know you're looking at potentially becoming a hub in some regards, but I believe there's, there's currently resources either way. Yeah. Um, so 
a couple of different things. We are in the process, and when I say we, community wellness at OSU is in the process of trying to become a Narcan and fentanyl test strip hub where we would be able to you know, talk to our community partners and potentially be able to provide them with doses of Narcan um, and fentanyl test strips at, at no charge. So we're in the process of that. It's not done yet. Um, I I hope very soon that we'll be able to announce that it's done and we'll have a formal process in place for any community partner that we work with to request from us and we'll be able to get it. Um, yeah. Sorry, you, you're currently able to um, offer training in that regard, right? Absolutely. So right now, today, um, if somebody would like a training on how to use the nasal mist Narcan, and it includes some things about, you know, thinking about, where to put it, where to have it within your organization or in your home. What we've really been trying to tell people is, you know, removing the stigma, having Narcan in your house does not mean anything other than you're prepared in case something yeah. happens. If you have it on you or in your car, it doesn't mean anything other than you're prepared. It's the same thing as we, we talk about this all the time. It doesn't make you an arsonist that you have smoke detectors and a fire extinguisher in your house. What an incredible analogy. I like that. That's a good way to look at it. Another thing I wanted to ask Jamila about, um, you'd mentioned a 988 phone number. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about this number and how it can help people? Yeah, 988 is also um, a relatively new hotline, but you it's a mental health hotline, and they're really trying to push it nationwide, but um, the state of Oklahoma, you can find all kinds of resources um, on their local website, 988, and it's a mental health hotline. If you're experiencing a mental health crisis, um, it's trying to um, lead people to call 988 instead of a 911. And um, I was reading some stats on the 988 website. 90% of um, mental health crises can be resolved by talking to a direct professional as soon as possible. So um, it's really trying to get people the help. And also, like Chuck had mentioned, just kind of taking away the stigma of um, having, you know, mental health crisis. I know that since uh, we're in a kind of a post-COVID era, mental health, especially among our youth, has been such a large issue that we're facing. And it's just really trying to give people resources and tools to normalize that and um, opportunities to reach out if you don't know where to turn to. Yeah. Not only does it help to relieve any type of stigma that you might feel is attached to needing that sort of help, but it's just so easy. Literally dial three numbers and helps right there for you. Yep. 988. Your team has been seeing some great responses from the community lately. In our last episode, we announced an upcoming event that since then has taken place, and it sounded like it was a really good success, really incredible turnout. I believe everybody here was able to attend, all three of you. Can anybody kind of go into some details, how it went, some of the successes of it? The gentleman that we had come in goes by Tall Cops as Stop. He's a nationally known speaker, and and really, his big thing, and I I, I know because I've talked to some folks from the community. It's it's a very eye opening presentation because a lot of what he does, he presents things that are in our community right now that are potential drugs of abuse that you'd never even think about. Things that are in a gas station, every convenience store that you walk into right now likely has a, a package that can be abused. And there's an entire culture around this that until your eyes are open to it, that's sort of his tagline is until you know, you don't know what to change or what to fix. So he tries to make sure that people are aware of this and, and um, it, it really does end up being an eye opening kind of uh, presentation for folks. Yeah. It's a very real issue. It's right under our noses. 
let me show you, let yeah. me, let me prove it to you. Well, and one of the things that he does that's great about that, right. Is when anytime he comes into a place and, and I mean, anytime he's going to speak anywhere, he comes in early and he will go to the local establishments and actually t- he pulls pictures and goes, saw this today. This exists in your town right now. Uh, we, we try and, and, and tell folks afterwards cause it can be like a, a shock to the system. Mm-hmm. It's like, it doesn't mean that you need to panic. It means that you need to be aware. We need to start having some conversations about what that means, what it looks like, and, and potentially some of the, the things that we can do um, to offset the fact that it's here. And that's the point of a lot of these events that you, you guys are coordinating is starting conversations. 100%. Getting, 100%. Um, getting this at the front of people's minds, seeing who it's impacting, seeing who's attending, and and kind of going from there in terms of getting further into the community. Cherie, I know that you are playing a big part in coordinating an upcoming event, um, an event that's going to be performed by Laura Stacks. It's called The Dangerous Truth About Today's Marijuana. It's, it's actually based around a story that she tells regarding her, her son, and, a, and it's actually kind of a tragic story. Could you go a little further into the event and and maybe a little bit of of Laura's story and how she kind of became a speaker in this regard? I believe she had been a public speaker before this, more on the motivational side. And it kind of the the story kind of shifted her her motivation and kind of how she wants to to affect people and impact people. Yes. So Laura Stack was a national speaker for productivity for business and she was nationally known and recognized and had won awards. And in November of 2019, she lost her son, Johnny, to death by suicide after using high THC marijuana. Oh, wow. So after this event, she uh, started a 501C called Johnny's Ambassadors, and she, she advocates and educates the community about high THC marijuana and prevention of marijuana. And that's a lot of what she she gears her approach around is she talks about the dangers with these these modern manufacturing techniques, the the very high strength, not only in terms of the agricultural side, what you're getting in the plant form, but people are able to reduce that down to something that can be that much that much more potent and potentially dangerous. The event is Monday, April 24th. It's going to be from 2 to 4.30 p.m. at the Pioneer Technology Center. It's going to be in the Seminar Center within there. That's Ponca City, Oklahoma. You can find out how to get tickets to this. Tickets are free. They're on Eventbrite. There will also be a link on connation.gov slash events. You'll actually see information regarding uh, multiple upcoming events, This this being one of the bigger ones. I'm excited about it. You guys were able to have such a great turnout on the previous event that we just spoke about on kind of more of a shorter notice. You didn't have as much time to let the community know about it. You guys are getting way out ahead of this one, a lot more time. Um, and now that people are kind of paying attention to this concept of, of events surrounding substance abuse, I'm excited. I think you, you're going to get even more of a turnout. You, you already have, right? Because 
the Eventbrite is showing that there's there's a lot of tickets already. We have as many people signed up already for this one as we did ended up with in the last one. And we were super fortunate. I mean, even to be able to get on the radio with you in that short sort of period of time, we were just sort of holding our breath and crossing our fingers that, that folks were going to show up. So it, it's nice. You know, we, we shifted to Eventbrite to make that process the, of signing up and getting tickets a little more formalized and easier to track. Um, and so we're really excited to see what the difference might be. Again, tickets, they're free. The, any- Absolutely free. Okay. Now, if you weren't able to secure a ticket ahead of time, can you still show up or that's, it might be a capacity at that point? It's probably worth a look at the website just in case. I mean, I, th- I think we still have lots of room based off of what we know, but mm-hmm. if we start to see, a, you know, a big uptick in um, attendance and whatever, it's probably not a bad idea to get on there. Okay. I don't think we're going to turn anybody away mm-hmm. um, unless we're just fully, fully at capacity and the, the folks that are partnering with us out at Pioneer Tech say no. Um, that's certainly not our intent. We want as many voices um, in the room as possible always. There's a lot of excitement surrounding this. People are really wanting to come to this. Given that, just as exciting as these are, these these events talk about real issues. They talk about very serious things. I remember somebody mentioning that there there might be some counseling resources on site for that reason. If uh, if people kind of find it difficult at certain points of this presentation, um, can you tell us a little bit more about that, Sheree? As part of our event, we're going to have. Um Kind of going off the 988, we will have um, a representative from 988 available. We also will have two counselors from Grand Lake Mental Health in Ponca City. Mm -hmm. And not only will they be available for people if they're triggered by the event, but they'll also be available. They're going to speak and talk a little bit about 988. Great. As part of the event. Kind of a win-win. They get to to mention um, that, that amazing resource as well. Sure, you and I had a chance to speak a little bit last week, and you had you had mentioned some very intriguing things to me. Something you brought to my attention that I found very interesting was the concept of perception of harm. It seems to be a very important component when it comes to combating marijuana abuse, especially regarding our youth. Can you can you elaborate on that a little further? Can you explain that concept to our listeners and and some of the ways that it might apply to our local community? So perception of harm, kind of a concept or the idea of perception of harm is how safe you view view something is. So marijuana used to be illegal, Mm -hmm. and now it's medically legal. So the perception of harm changed. So now people are using marijuana. They have family. They have friends that have medical marijuana cards, and they're fine, Mm -hmm. and everything's great. So now they think it's okay for them to use. I can see that playing a huge role in people potentially using. I mean, if you don't think it's bad, if you if you see people in your personal life that claim to benefit from it, why not? And that can be a slippery slope. That can be very dangerous. I think something that lends itself even further to that perception of harm, you provided me with um, some statistics regarding some different grades here. Um, Chuck, could you... Could you maybe elaborate a little further on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and cause there's a couple of things too, right? It's 
it's family members and it's the legalization, but it's also, if you think about the environment that we're living in, you can't go four blocks without seeing a dispensary. All that stuff normalizes just the behavior and the drug itself. So you start to lose, is whether or not you believe it's whatever side of it you fall on. Mm-hmm. Anytime you lose respect for a substance and the, the changes that it can make in a body, that's when you start to have have issues. If you start to believe that it just has no consequences, that's almost true for no substance that you're going to put on your brain. Um, and, and we know, you know, here in K County. So one of the things that we do, um, and it's, it's fortunately, it's just become mandatory. So this next time around, we're going to be able to have every school participate, but Back in the day, one of the things that our, our folks used to do was to go around and try and get schools to take the Oklahoma Prevention Needs Assessment. Mm-hmm. It's uh, done every other year. It's given to 6th, 8th, 10th, and 12th graders in the state. And they're asking an entire series. It's like 150 questions-ish oh, wow. um, about all sorts of things about their perception of their community. It's about um, their past usage, so their lifetime usage of different substances, their last 30-day usage of different substances. And, you know, from that, we're able, especially on the years where we were able to recruit enough schools to get to a good sample size, mm-hmm. you know, we were able to really pull, like, this is what our youth think. It's self-reported data. And so we're going directly to them. So, you know, when you get like in this latest round, the, the, the one that we have the best sample for when our 12th graders, so our seniors in high school, um, are reporting that 61.7% of them see absolutely zero risk, no risk at all from somebody harming themselves uh, by using marijuana. That's a concern. Yeah, that's a concern. I mean, that's that's a huge part. If you include the 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 12th graders that say that there's either no risk or slight risk, you're all the way up to upwards of 82 percent. You know, we we aren't doing, I think, a good enough job. And that's one of the reasons to have some of the conversations that we are and bringing Laura in of really, again, regardless of of where you stand on the overall health of the plant, there's a respect that, that it's due. To have 82% saying there's just no harm possible, it goes against what the numbers tell us. It goes against, again, the idea of just having respect for any substance that you're going to put on in your brain. And so it becomes pretty obvious that we need that because those are local numbers, right? Those aren't some far flung, whatever. They're right here. They're right here. Our, our seniors are saying this. We obviously need to have some of these conversations and at least talk about what some of the potential risks are. In terms of this perception of harm concept, it is. It's very concerning. So I'm excited about this upcoming event. I think that's going to, again, get the conversation started, start trying to move things in the right direction. Speaking of getting things moving in the right direction, it sounds like you guys have different ways to gauge the progress you're making, different benchmarks to kind of show success, looking at things like the number of marijuana-related school suspensions and seeing if that's going up or down. I found that very interesting. Cherie or, or Chuck or anybody, if, if you could relate or if you could elaborate a little further on that, this actually sounds like a great way to gauge the direction things are going in. So is this something you look at all schools? Are we, are we going kind of across the board? So, I mean, I think can start with this, this gets back to even to the first time we talked in the process, like a, a lot of people hear prevention and, and it's not necessarily everything that they think it is, but basically all of our work uses this thing called sort of reverse design. So we'll start with a problem that we can identify through the data because one of the issues you find is that there's just sometimes there's not 
great data. So sometimes the issue becomes trying to create or gather data or, or whatnot, but we'll start with the problem. So like for me in Payne County and, and the underage drinking problem, it's alcohol related car crashes that involve mm. somebody underage. Okay. That's the problem that I want to try and reduce because if you follow that back through the process, and this is what we mean by reverse design, if you follow it back, so if somebody is drinking and driving, they were obviously, they're underage, they were obviously drinking alcohol, and that's the use pattern. And then there was something in the environment that they made that more or less likely. And once we kind of identify those things, those are the things that we want to try and fix. Mm -hmm. So like in the case of our, our marijuana youth thing, one of the things that we came across, because we have great partners here in K County that are able to get it for us, you can't always get this data because right. schools don't always give it up, but we could get access to our youth suspensions for marijuana. And again, that's like, that's as direct as you can get. Yeah. You know that those are people in our community kids in our community that are being suspended because if you think about it, they had marijuana at school or they knew that they were using, they got caught on a random drug test. And so that's giving us a very direct look at what we see for use in our community. If we can eventually look at that use and then figure out what's driving it and lessen that number, then we'll know that we've made sort of the overall um, change that we're hoping to make. Yeah, that is, that's a great statistic to look at. You got to think about it. The series of events that has to take place for you to take it to school, be so obvious at school and get suspended. Who knows if there was warnings involved or anything like that. That's a really good indicator that there's a, a substantial use issue right there. That's the exact idea behind the reverse design piece, because the series of events is, is really the thing that you have a chance to try and disrupt. So data is huge. Being able to look at numbers, being able to get numbers, acquire numbers like that, that basically give you a better idea moving forward. That's kind of the name of the game with a lot of this. Something that you guys showed to me, I found it incredibly interesting. I read through the whole thing. It was, it was basically a study conducted by Colorado State University regarding substance abuse amongst Native American adolescents very extensive study went all the way back to 1974. They're definitely putting a, a good size body of work together for this. Now, some of the specifics of this study, they don't apply directly to our local community, but there were some discussions in this study that dove a little deeper into some of the potential causes behind higher rates of substance abuse amongst uh, Native American youth. And I found that to be important and even worth mentioning to our local native communities. Something they talked about was digging deeper and, and talking about the causes that might lead to this, this, uh, this problem. And it was the notion that Native American youth experience higher rates of trauma. Absolutely. Trauma through loss, uh, trauma through suicides. Even things like accidents, um, violence is a really big one, trauma from household dysfunction. That really spoke to me. As I'm reading through that, I'm kind of taking a personal inventory, and I'm like, wow, Caw Nation has all of these programs and resources that they've put into place that are directly addressing a lot of these very things that I'm noticing in this study we literally have a department called the Caw Nation Family Trauma Healing Center right in Newkirk right there. We have a uh, Indian Child Welfare Department. We have our uh, Caw Nation Human Development Division. And 
it kind of dawned on me. It's like, we're doing this work together. Um, I'm connecting with the OSU community wellness programs. I'm going to these, uh, this the community health meetings every month there in Ponca City and it's like the next step I think is finding real ways to connect you guys with these departments in ways that can impact in ways that can further their efforts and also further your efforts kind of a mutually beneficial situation there one of the things that comes to mind is as as you get closer to becoming more of a testing resource I think that that'd be a great conversation to have with the Con Nation Police Department and a lot of these other departments, because a lot of these issues, I'm sure you don't have to look very far to see that a lot of it stems from things like trauma, which lead to things like substance abuse. So I'm looking forward to that side of things. I'm going to really start uh, putting motion into place to connect you guys start talking to the director, start talking to the powers that be and just seeing the best way that we can get a lot of that going. So I'm looking forward to that. That's, that's absolutely the way that we like to work. And, and, you know, you bring up that study and it's, it's such a good point in a lot of ways because it is important and you make the distinction to, to say that the sample that they used were folks who lived on or near a reservation. And we, we don't have that particular thing but the conclusions that they drew were powerful because we know what the shared history is yeah we know what the historical trauma is we know what forced removal did to everybody Mm -hmm. that got brought here um and that's the forced removal piece is really only like two generations back if you really start to think about that is trauma that is shared across um everybody you know in oklahoma that belongs to to one of our native nations yes and so you can't escape some of the similarities that exist and especially when they're able to draw conclusions that show what we kind of already is mirrored in other things. We see this across the substance use spectrum where folks who experience higher disparities, so lower SES, higher rates of violence, higher rates of trauma, adverse childhood experiences, ACEs, when you experience that, you're more likely to have substance use issues over the course of your lifespan. And and it makes sense logically you're using it to self-medicate or you're trying to to heal that trauma or at least get away from that trauma for a little bit. When you put all of it together, mm-hmm. right, there's the piece that shows that there's the likelihood that folks who share that level of trauma are more likely to use. And then going back to the beginning of today where we're talking about the environment that we live in, mm-hmm. where there's a dispensary on every corner and we're living in a state where we have the most – sort of lax medical law in the country. So you've got people who are more likely to use in an environment that normalizes the use to the extreme. You've got a recipe for some really, really big, nasty consequences to happen. And that's, again, one of the reasons that we like to start these conversations. It's why we love to link up. What you're talking about is exactly what we like to try and do is go and listen to the people who live here Mm -hmm. and work here the folks at your family trauma center that are in the work every single day, we want to listen to them first Mm -hmm. and probably second. Yeah. (laughs) And then try and figure out if there are gaps that we can help fill things that maybe we can work together on to strengthen the sort of the capacity of the community. Because this is the thing, like we don't come in and say, we're going to fix anything. 
we're not able to, first of all, local people solve local problems. We do it by hopefully going in and again, listening and, and trying to figure out and help problem solve where we might be able to build capacity someplace. And again, look at those sort of factors within a community that we can disrupt that keeps somebody who might be at higher risk from ever getting to that point. You guys are doing some incredible work out there. Again, we have a really good event coming up Monday, April 24th. The Dangerous Truth About Today's Marijuana, the keynote speaker, Laura Stack, very renowned speaker. I think she's been on Dr. Phil. She's been on a number of regional news stations. That's it. 2 p.m. to 4.30 p.m., Pioneer Technology Center inside the Seminar Center in Ponca City, Oklahoma. Get your tickets at eventbrite.com. You can find the link to the actual event, connation.gov slash events. Thank you guys so much for coming in. We'll get together. We'll do this very soon. Thanks, Lonnie. You've been listening to Konza Radio, a weekly update on the people, events, activities, and services of the Con Nation. For more information, visit our website at connation.com or Con Nation on Facebook. Listen again next week at this same time for another edition of Konza Radio.